Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. And as therapists, we know that what makes therapy work is the therapeutic alliance, the therapeutic relationship, however it is that you describe it. In all of my different environments, whether I'm teaching, whether I'm out talking with people on the podcast, whether I'm in networking situations with people, when I ask people, what is actually the therapeutic alliance? I get kind of these stunned looks of like, oh, it's kind of how well we get along with clients and it's how well we all agree on what we're working towards. I think that there's a whole lot more to it. So my first thing is, is that really a question you ask people? (laughs) Definitely when I'm teaching, but since we're talking about it today, what is the therapeutic alliance? What does it actually look like? So, so now I'm on the spot to tell you what I think a therapeutic alliance is. It's a great reflexive question, isn't it? Yes, it is. All right. So what I think the therapeutic alliance is the relationship that you set up with your client depending on their needs. And so for me, my therapeutic alliance can be more directive. It can be more connected and collaborative. It can be very, dare I say it, blank slady where I really provide space, but the way that I ally with my client depends on what they need and is is aimed towards their treatment goals. The relationship that I create with them, as we know, the relationship is the most important thing, the thing that, that gives us the best outcomes. And so really being conscious of how I develop the relationship with my client is something that, because I don't like to prepare other things. I don't like to get trained in other things. I focus on the relationship. So how did I do? I don't know that it's any more clear from before you were talking than it is to when you're after you're done talking. That, And I think that this is part <laughs> of the problem is that if we were to watch a video of you in session, would we be able to point out these are things that you're doing towards your therapeutic alliance? Or is that just like you're lucking into it? I don't, I, I actually am pretty conscious about it. I know you're trying to like do a thing here, but like I actually am very conscious. There are clients that I purposely will infuse humor because I feel like that's a part of the relationship that's very important for them. There's people who I'll be very directive with and that's part of the relationship for them. There's people who I specifically will sit back and listen and really make sure that they're feeling like they're in charge of the session and there's specific tactics I use. So maybe I'm looking into it, but in truth, I try, I'm trying to be very conscious about it. Okay, so these are all things that makes sense from the therapist side. Okay. That it's a relationship. It's a two-way street. It's things that there there's got to be at least two of you to be involved in this relationship. What do you think it is from the client side? 
Well, I think from the client side, it's it's how they feel in the room. It's how safe they feel. It's it's the type of relationship, how they would describe their therapist and, and the types of, of interactions that they're having. I mean, I think it's something where we're in charge of the relationship, so we have to be conscious about it. For them, it's how do they feel? There's so many cliches that I feel like you're referring to here that... What do you mean, cliches? How do you feel? Yes. You know, I could say, well, I'm, I'm wondering how you feel about that. And how does that make you feel? Like, that's... Even how, what, how do I describe it without a cliche? <laughs> well, you're referring to how does our client refer to us? Well, I have a client this afternoon who's going to refer to me as, oh, he's tall. And... <laughs> But, you know, so much of what we put into talking about, you know, the, the brand of you, the episode that we had you know, a couple months ago, the workshops that we put on, the living and breathing as the therapist, this kind of continuum of who we are and what we do as professionals. There's so much that we craft on our end, and we keep, you know, dancing around this idea of what the therapeutic alliance is. We have talked, you know, since the beginning of our series about asking for client-informed feedback in our treatment and referring to a lot of what clients think we should do different in session or having ratings done and all of the, the work that we refer to with Scott Miller. But we still don't have like a great definition of what makes up the therapeutic alliance from the client's end. All right, Smarty Pants, what is your definition? So... <laughs> it's it's less about what the definition is, and it's more about what we do. And so there's this great 2014 study it's from Beattie and Duff, and they looked at 78 different clients and asked them over the course of about three months of treatment to fill out several questionnaires about what they found important as far as making the therapeutic relationship work. And they boiled all of that down into... Uh, most important with the highest consensus across the group, all the way to least important and least consensus across the group. And they found that the top five things that therapists do that enhance the relationship, number one is validating their experience. I think that this is a very simple enough thing, but I think when we ask clients for what's important and they tell us validate what we're going through, it's a great insight into make that important as far as building your relationship with them. Mm -hmm. I guess that makes sense. Validating your experience, I think oftentimes is something that we're trained to do, but I think it can be one of the first things that goes out the window when uh, we start trying to do an intervention or to normalize the experience or when we're trying to help them see something a different way. And it can, all of those things can end up feeling invalidating if you're saying, well, you're just normal. You're, <laughs> you really shouldn't feel that way because it's really not that bad. And, you know, let's, let's look at it from a different perspective because clearly your perspective is wrong. And so I think it is something to, to circle back to is, is validating an experience is if that's the most important thing, then I think that's good. But I, I do have a question on that. So I'm going to, I'm going to, just to give you a, a preview, I'm going to talk about each one in between. So you can't just do the list, dude. We're no, I, I know that. We're digging it. All yeah. right. That's we're, we're digging it. All right. Okay. But let's say, for example, and this is a question I'm asking, that you have a client who's 
experience and how they're perceiving things is very impacted by depression or psychosis or those types of things. Like, what do you do in that situation? I know what I do, but I was, I'm curious what you do in those situations. Cause I think that's something that those are times when there can be a minefield where we're not validating somebody's experience. Well, and I think that part of this is also in the delivery too, because there's a huge difference between, well, I, I can see how you'd feel that way versus I can see how you'd feel that way. That even though they're the exact same words, one implies a level of guilt and a level of judgment. But well, in, I think, and actually, when I heard you say them, I actually heard judgment in both. Well, I could see how you could feel that way. Okay, then I'm going to go back <laughs> and edit this. And <laughs> but I think, but no, I don't think you should edit it. I think it's something where it's it can be something where we're trying to to connect and depending on tone of voice, depending on relationship, we can be invalidating. And if that's the most important thing in the therapeutic alliance, we're constantly needing to assess how we come across. Right. And so the, it's not as simple as I can see how you'd feel that way. It's, well, given X, Y, and Z that you've talked about in your experiences with you know, this part of your life and this other part of your life, this theme that's coming up again, I can see how you'd feel this way about this particular situation. Yeah, yeah. That sounded better. <laughs> Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Number two. All right. Number two. The therapist would ask me about other parts of my life that don't include my problems. So it's kind of strengths-based. Or even just an interest in anything else. Holistic. Is that a better word? That, that's, uh, yeah, let's, let's go with holistic. Okay. I think that's something that can be very hard because I think f- my experience sometimes is that clients get very focused on the problem. And I think it can be about setting the tone that this is about making, this is about you as a whole person. And so making sure that you're not just checking in on what went wrong this week, but in truth, checking in on everything. And it's even just that showing the importance enough that you remember something that is outside of their problems, that you're not defining them based on their problems, that it might not be relevant to the presenting problem that comes in, but it's just showing a humanity in between you and the client that adds to show up number two on this list of most important things that we can do. 
And I think that can be more difficult if you're exhausted, burned out, you don't keep appropriate notes. Like oftentimes, depending on your caseload, remembering all the details of all the people and, and that kind of stuff in their lives, you can forget. And I think this is something where a therapeutic alliance can really be negatively impacted when you're overwhelmed or distracted because you won't know anything except their presenting problem. And so I think it can be really key to remember that when you're taking care of yourself. Just, you know, you know, I always pitch this. <laughs> Self-care because it's it makes you better a clinician. You know, my, my short piece on this is if you're interested in your clients, if you make yourself interested, this comes really easily. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it also, it's it's something where if you're, interested in your clients, but you're also actually developing a real relationship with them and and connecting to them as a whole person, you'll remember the things, you'll be interested in the things. Because I think there are folks who I think in an older model, it really is the medical model of I see you as your diagnosis. And and so, you know, maybe I'm not saying anything different, but it just this idea of really connecting to this whole person allows this versus treating a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is something that's particularly relevant in my practice, working with teenagers, that they oftentimes are still working on the individual identity and the emotional maturity to be able to continuously talk about their presenting problems. So even just in providing a little bit of a, a break in session to talk about you know, what's going on at school or, you know, how'd you do on that thing last week that you were super excited about that with intentionality really does add a lot to, you know, I'm, I'm seeing you as you and not just as kind of this thing that you feel like you have to talk about it in here. Yeah. And I think specific to, to teenagers, I had one of my first supervisors said that if you actually get to the meat of the problem for about 15 minutes a session, that's probably all you want to do. <laughs> because otherwise, you know, it's just, it's something where you're not connecting at all. I think there's some clients that maybe part of what they want to do is really dig in and solve a problem. And so that can be there as well. But oftentimes in those situations, it's your job to pull back and see them as a whole person and help them to remember that, you know, this problem is not their whole thing. They, if they can get a broader perspective of their, their selves and their lives, the problem actually seems much smaller. So even if the client is kind of asking for this focus, it may still be something where you want to help broaden it to the whole person on your own. Moving on to number three, the therapist was honest. The therapist was honest. Well, I certainly agree with that. Are, well, in the article, does it have anything that gives more context for that besides the therapist was honest? No. So it just said the therapist was honest and that's mm -hmm. what they endorsed. Right. All right. So what I take from that then is that the therapist doesn't deceive, you know, lie about things. But I think there's a, a bigger honesty about being a human being, having making mistakes, having feelings, that kind of stuff that may feel much more authentic and connecting and honest than a therapist who hides behind a mask of perfection, of objectivity, that kind of stuff. So that's what I take from it. I don't know that, that that's what they're talking about, though. And when I read this through the first time and then also the second and the 35th time, because I, I love this article. I, well, I, 
I would like to to share this with our, our readers, and I'd like to read it myself, just you know, behind the scenes. Kurt didn't want me to read it, so I could have my own reactions to this. But, <laughs> but we will put the link to this article in the show notes, right? We're, yes, yes, we will. You're a special article that only you get to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this might be informed just by the way that I practice or the way that I look at things. But when it says that the therapist was honest, there's a number of times that come up in my sessions that it's a reaction from a client is almost kind of like it's the advice asking portion uh, of a session. And if a client's asking for advice and it's something that I can freely give them, I will give them advice that I think that that's something where we have a weird thing in our profession of like, we're the one profession where a customer asks for something and we're like, I'm not going to give you that one thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So I look at, you know, the, the therapist was honest. I, I look at it as clients who are asking for something specific and got a response. Well, it's, it's giving your true opinion about something. And I think, I think that can be a slippery slope though, because I think there's times when you may have an opinion about your client that's not helpful to them. And, you know, we have to navigate this in everyday life. I mean, when, when anybody asks, Hey, do these pants make me look fat? We know what the answer is, but I think it's that piece of being able to, to really provide positive feedback to not positive necessarily, but honest feedback that is helpful is good for the therapeutic relationship, but not, not every minute. Like I have to be truthful. I don't think that every piece of feedback is helpful to the therapeutic relationship. And so maybe it's not being dishonest. It's just being boundaried, but I think it is something that's worth conversation a little bit. Cause I, I think there is, there are some truths that we may need to hold back from our clients. Do you agree? I think that there's helpful honesty and then I think that there's harmful honesty and some clients I've seen who justify their actions based on, well, I'm just being honest. I just need to get this Mm -hmm. off my chest. I just need to do whatever else that doesn't have that consideration for how that information is going to be received. But I think that what stands out a lot more to clients is the not honesty that isn't necessarily releasing any information at all. I was networking with a therapist recently who was telling me a story of her supervisor who was working with somebody who had gone through an affair or was going through a divorce process and asked the therapist if they had ever been married. And the the therapist supervisor in the situation refused to answer the question Mm. to to the point where it kind of became a a point of contention in the session. Mm. And so I think that it's instances like those that really harmed the relationship. And I can bet that that client didn't come back to the next session Yeah, where it's just like, I'm asking, do you have a basis for feelings and reactions to a situation like this? Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I can also see that a client asking us about our political views or our religious views and wanting to keep a boundary around it. I mean, I think that there there's some hard calls that therapists are going to have to make about what they feel like is going to be helpful honesty and what's going to be harmful honesty. So I think it is something where I'm for honesty. I think it is also something where really, you know, doing it in a very thoughtful way. And I think you're saying the same thing, Kurt. I'm not arguing with you, but I think it is something where being able to be thoughtful about what goes into the room that remains honest, but isn't over-disclosing or harmful in some way. 
Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Number four, the counselor normalized my experience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now we know that we can normalize their experience, but not invalidate their experience. I mean, this is a tough one. Because if you feel like you're the only person in the world that feels this awful, and I say, well, you do feel really awful, but you're not the only one. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) Combining one and four. And, you know, (laughs) at at first glance, just even in looking at these, you kind of go back and forth in between them. The difference between validation and normalization is actually important enough to be separate. Yeah. But, But they're both top four things as far as clients are concerned. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, as a client, when I when my therapist normalizes things for me, or when I'm talking to other therapists and things are normalized for me, it can be such a relief. But there's also times when it goes to this place of, but I'm not special enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as special and, and beleaguered or belabored <laughs> as I think I am. Oh, oh, now I feel ridiculous. So I think it is it is something where you know, they are very different things, but I think that they can go towards, they can hit at the same spot and you want to make sure that you're being thoughtful on both sides. Number five, the counselor made eye contact with me. Yeah, I've been working on that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think I make okay eye contact. At one point I realized that I wasn't, I had a client that had really good eye contact and I was like, wow, I don't have eye contact that good. So I've gotten better, but I think there are clients that don't like eye contact. It just, I mean, there's cultural differences there. I think there's, there's a lot of things. What do you think that's about? I think it's a matter of following along with what the client is leading with. And I I've been in sessions dealing with trauma and especially working with women who've gone through sexual assault before and talking about things where they've very verbally said, I cannot look at you while I'm talking to you about this. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. And so I'm not going to, you know, move my chair over in front of wherever they're looking. That's <laughs> It's not just about eye contact, but it's also it's respectful eye contact. It's yeah. not breaking what what the client's comfortable with. It's following their lead as Katie pointed out. There's a ton of cultural things that can then interplay with this as well. So I think that it's really being able to have it when clients want it and be able to respect it when they don't. And I think that there are some therapists that may be more or less comfortable with eye contact. And I think that a piece of that can also go into developing a relationship that is unique to you, that you connect in the way that you're most comfortable connecting. And the clients will be the people who that will stay, that will feel connected to you or the ones that you want to serve. I mean, I think forcing yourself to make eye contact with people when that's not comfortable for you is also not something that's necessarily good for the therapeutic relationship. So I think it's, it's finding that balance and, and meeting your clients as close to in the middle or on their side as you can. In looking at what else has worked, and there's a number of studies that are out there about what the therapeutic alliance is. And I think that it's really important to look at what it is that we can do to make these things better. Because if it's more specific, it gives us a better direction to go. It's not just like I can tell any one of our listeners, like, 
hey, go have a better therapeutic alliance. <laughs> it helps to, to get into the weeds a little bit here. So that way, you know that, okay, if one of the challenges that I'm having is I'm not validating clients enough, or maybe I'm not making enough eye contact. Maybe I can afford to be a little bit more honest because that's what clients are going to respond to. These are all good things. Yeah. And I think it's good to know what they actually would like. Because I think for me, the things that I said in the beginning, they don't tie exactly to these things, but they certainly are a part of it. You know, infusing humor, being directive or not directive, part of those things are my honesty in some ways. And so I think I think that you can do this in your own way, but I think being aware of the things that clients most value and paying attention to those things can help guide things a bit more. And then you put your own personality behind them. Mm-hmm. And so categorically, the study also breaks down how these things fit into larger categories. And these two are also validate an earlier study done by Beattie in 2006. But both studies, this one and the 2006 study, placed validation and honesty as the highest client priorities when it comes to the therapeutic relationship. And so it's something that's been there consistently for years creeping in there with the eye contact presentation and body language. It was a lot higher ranked in the more recent study than it was in the previous study. And so this is beyond the eye contact. This is not fidgeting in your chair. This is sitting up straight. It's sitting squarely to them. Guidance and challenging and educating clients about their situations or diagnoses. These fall into that next level of importance. So it's about being able to help clients move forward. All yeah. of those things, all of those things still fall below validate the situation that they're in. Yeah. Well, and I'm really hearing this as, as clients want to be heard and respected. And I think that feels very instinctive and intuitive, but when we break it down into the smaller steps, I think it is something where we can get more specific on how we're paying attention. Because if I look at humor because you know I'm hilarious, and <laughs> you know that my clients love it, but but I have to actually make sure that it doesn't go against them feeling validated. It doesn't go against them feeling that that I'm being honest and and you know connected with them. I think it's that piece of making sure that even though our clients may be responding positively at times, if it doesn't line up with the things that when they're outside of our office that they're saying that they want, you know, this validation, the honesty, the other stuff that Kurt said that I can't think of right in this moment. (laughs) Um, I need to read the article again, which it will be in our show notes. But I think it's that piece of, of if we're not paying attention to those things, you know, we can go very wrong. I, I don't think our clients are necessarily going to always tell us when we miss the mark. They're not going to always tell us when they don't feel heard and understood. Certainly, my goal is always to set up the ability for them to do that. But people generally, especially if they're in relationship with somebody, they want to say like, no, that's fine. Or, oh, sure, that that was a good session. Thank you. And you're not going to get that feedback unless you either have a mechanism to do it or they, they can actually, you know, you can incorporate things that have been done in these outside studies that are more objective than somebody telling you to your face mm-hmm. <laughs> what you want to do. I was a little bit surprised in this study what came out, and even in referring to the older PD study as well. The thing that clients reported had the least impact on building the relationship, and that was the setting in which the therapy took place. 
So interesting. As much as we we can put all intentionality into how we design our offices or into you know, if you're working even in community mental health, of seeing somebody in a more private situation versus in a more public situation, clients reported that that was the least important thing in building the relationship with the therapist. Well, that feels reassuring for those of us who have offices that maybe need to be updated. Our clients just don't care. <laughs> well, and, and really, when you think about it, it, would you rather be in a place with somebody who's validating you and really normalizing what you're doing, regardless of where it is, as opposed to somebody who's judgy in a really nice swank office? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd want to be judged. So yeah, I guess I would prefer the, the overturned uh, bucket with a you know prison light hanging on the top. <laughs> <laughs> My preference definitely is to, to have the, the relationship versus the swanky office. We will include the information about this article in our show notes. You can see that on mtsgpodcast.com. You can check out all of the other things that Katie and I are doing over there. We've launched our consultation Yeah, the 50-minute hour. The 50-minute hour. If you want to consult with Katie and I on clinical materials or business, business or planning or legal uh, and ethical stuff or legal and ethical stuff, any of the wonderful things that we talk about, we are now offering that as a service. While you're on our website, you can also check out the exciting Therapy Reimagined Conference here in Los Angeles in October of 2018. And we have two days, 14 CEUs, where we're crafting better clinicians. And this is looking at other exciting things that we can do to help our client outcomes, not just the Therapeutic Alliance, but bringing this into the 21st century of psychotherapy. Uh, you can check all of that out on our website. Once again, it's mtsgpodcast.com. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.